Sego, I am John Kane, and I'm welcoming you, welcoming you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, May 16th, 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, we start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers. We don't do Buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at uh, history, oppression, our survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and, and health nowadays. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We take on the false narratives, and we provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all live right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams live on our website. And I do encourage you to go to our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. There we've got uh, links to our podcasts, our videos, all kinds of stuff there. Um, we've got a, we even have a store, so you can buy some Let's Talk Native merch. <laughs> so, um, again, so our audio streams live on our website. We also stream live video of the show on Facebook Live, via Facebook Live, on our Facebook group pages, both my page for this show and the show that I do in New York. And then we, um, and my wife and others uh, share the, uh, the, the live stream across other uh, Facebook group pages. So you can catch us on Facebook as well. Um, we take the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud after the, the show, which put which post it up on all of your favorite podcast platforms we take the video and we put it up on our youtube channel which is let's talk native tv uh, i'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and to our youtube channel on our youtube channel you will find not just videos of our shows uh, but you'll also find the short form videos that we do that are very topic specific we address specific issues and usually they're only about a 10 minute video uh, they're, they're, they're good tools. So, uh, I encourage you to check those out. Our latest video, which is called, this is Canada. Uh, it breaks the myth about how nice Canada is. It talks about how, uh, how predominant racism is, especially towards native people in Canada. So I encourage you to check out that video in particular. Okay. Uh, look, I am the, the show's host and producer. I'm joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our audio and our video. Um, let's get started. All right. I, I, in the promo, I basically uh, am saying, look, let's look at church and the spread of COVID-19. And, and the reason that I want to drive this message home, look, I, I did, I've done a couple of shows where I've at least mentioned uh, Navajo Territory. Um, I was actually on the morning show on WBAI this week, and uh, and Michael G. Haskins, the the host, was asking me about it. You know, and and the thing that had slipped my mind, and 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 I really do apologize for this because it's important that we think about this. The spread in Navajo territory began with a church gathering. In the first week, actually, I think it was like March 7th or something like that. They had this large church gathering where um, members of the, uh, of the various churches throughout Navajo, Navajo Territory came together for this gathering in the first week of March. And then they went and then they returned home. So they immediately took the virus. And that's where they, the vi there were a couple of people who were, uh, who were hot at the time you know with with the virus so that's where it was spread at this church gathering and then but the, the whole nature of proselytizing and, and mission work and and church congregation work um this network was used to spread this disease not intentionally you know so i'm not saying that but you know 
our history w- w- uh, with the role that church has played in destroying our people, killing our people, wiping out our people, um, creating policy that was geared towards wiping out our people is still pretty raw. So when, when I consider the fact that there seems to be like all these questions on why Navajo? I mean, look, right now there are, uh, I, I think there are, are 30, there's almost 4,000 cases, 3,900 cases in Navajo with, uh, with 140 deaths. Now, we hear a lot of numbers, and I throw numbers around all the time about the number of cases in the world, the number of cases in the United States, you know, how many deaths there are. So when we break it down to one specific territory, maybe some people hear 3,900 and it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. Navajo territory has more cases than 11 of the United States. 11. There are 11 states that have fewer cases than the Navajo territory. And... And, and for U.S. territories, including Puerto Rico, by the way. On a per capita basis, Navajo territory has more cases than any place else in, in, the, well, in the United States. And, of course, uh, you know, that would actually put them on the higher end with most places in the world. But more cases uh, on a per capita basis, more cases than any place in the United States. And, and so when you ask the question, and, and look, it, we talk about poverty and lack of water and everything else, but I think, and, and, and again, I apologize for not emphasizing this earlier. The role that these church and this mission work, this congregation kind of work goes in in doing, look, and this is spreading a disease. I have a problem with, with, with the, spreading this evangelicalism um, in general. Because I think some of the, the spread of Christianity is, is problematic because it is, it is such a cultural shift. Now, I think it's important that people realize that at the heart of the epidemic in Navajo territory was the role that the, that the church has played in this. Now, and it's not unique there. I mean, South Korea went through the same thing. Their big spread in South Korea was was again caused by by church congregations so in in two specific places and one that was a major hit in in terms of uh, uh globally south korea and now one of the, the biggest hot spots in the well considered in the united states navajo territory churches played a role a significant role not only in spreading the disease but continuing to to, to pitch this whole idea that that group worship is so necessary and, and you're seeing it all over the all over the country. And of course, you can make a direct connection between the evangelical right, Trump worshipers, um, the you know open up my state movement, and of course, Second Amendment. All, all this, they're all they, you can tie them all together. There's a direct line: white supremacy. It's all connected together. Now, I'm not suggesting that only white people are, are churchgoers. I, you know, I I'll, I personally, as a native person, will never understand how we have allowed church to play such a big role in native territories considering what the history is and i say the same thing about black folks i mean when you consider the the role that church and churches played in in slavery and the slave trade i don't know how you get i don't know how you get from there to here i mean you know and i i say the same thing about enlistment in in the armed forces I don't know how we go from from having our our women and children murdered at the hands of U.S. Um, military to saying sign me up. 
I, I, I look, I, I don't get it. But I think it's really, really important that we understand where some of this spread comes from. Now, I know, I, I know, I sound like I'm just a Christian hater. And look, whatever you believe, you believe. But the problem is when you promote that belief in, in such a, a, a systematic way, that not only do you spread the belief, but you spread things like COVID-19 along with it. When you tell people that this life doesn't matter because it's all about the afterlife, and, and you can you know, cast away all kinds of other, other actions that people can do to improve the quality of life, and you just, just tell people to pray. That's why we don't do prayers on this show. Well, uh, let's not do it. I wouldn't do prayers anyway. But, but, but the whole idea that, that we're going to tell people, oh, I'm sending you thoughts and prayers, instead of anything meaningful, and, and, instead of doing an act of kindness, because telling somebody you're going to pray from them for them is not an act of kindness it's words it's it's cheap word salad it means nothing i mean it may mean something to you and maybe somebody's going to say oh i feel good that they're praying for me but that's it i mean there could not be a shallower gesture and i gotta tell you you know and i don't know this to be a fact or anything else but i also got a question how many people when they say oh you're in my prayers literally get on their knees and and pray to their god to help somebody i mean when you tell people you're gonna pray do you actually pray for them i don't know i mean do people really do that maybe they do maybe they go to the church and light candles and do that stuff. i don't know i don't know but there are things that we need to do and relying on divine intervention you know because i gotta tell you when people say well jesus will save us Jesus and the spread of this gospel and Jesus and all that stuff is part of the reason we're in this situation. Most of the violence in the world is it can be directly attributed to people's religious beliefs. And the and the and the the, the bizarre belief that they were chosen because they chose to believe something that makes them a chosen person or the, a chosen people above all else. That's problematic. <laughs> that is just a recipe for disaster. When you, when you spend your life convincing yourself and your children and your neighbor and anybody else you can get to listen to you, that if you believe what I believe, that you are that you become a chosen person and that you're gonna you know somehow you know live forever and uh, you know in, in a holy place or, or whatever. I mean. It, and and then you can say that in a way that dismisses the very preciousness of the life that we have to live and what we do with our children the quality of life i mean there's concepts within the within the church that were that that was initiated specifically to keep people down blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth you know what that means Take what you take your lumps. I mean, look, Jeff Sessions stood up there and said, "Well, obeying government is in the Bible, because as far as the Bible goes, and I don't know, he cites passages, and I'm not going to get up and quote Bible verses, but he said, if governments governments only exist because God allows them to exist, and so they are by extension extensions of God's will. So if you defy government, then you're a sinner." 
So if you stand up to anything that your government does that it's wrong, so all you folks get with your guns going to the Capitol and stuff like that, you're a sinner. I know you're evangelical right. But Jeff Sessions told, when, when he was the Attorney General, I realized that you know Trump talked bad about Jeff Sessions now, so you can dismiss everything he said. But there is a, a, an evangelical belief that they can that they can be right wing conservatives and that the, and that the power of the of, of government and especially the executive is as Trump says absolute and 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 it's absolute not because of constitution but because the belief that God wanted Trump to be president and look there are people who pro- I mean you you got it got you got to make you got to make you wonder because how does a guy who loses an election by two million votes become uh, become president? Well, apparently God wanted him to be. I mean, that, that's what that's what you're led to believe. I don't know. I mean, look, and I'm not going to do a whole show just bashing, you know, church and church beliefs. But I will say that as it relates to this this global pandemic, church is playing a role. It played a role in in the initial spreads, and it's still playing a role. I mean, one of the big outbreaks in Florida had to do with a uh, a church congregation, a, a big church uh, choir thing that a bunch of people had gone to. One of the big outbreaks in Texas was uh, had to do with with a church gathering. And make no mistake about it, in the first week of March, there were powers that be that knew there was a problem. the The uh, South by Southwest uh, Arts Festival was canceled in Austin, Texas. Because the city of Austin knew that there was there'd be a problem if a bunch of people came from different places and then gathered and then went and then dispersed again, which is exactly what happens with these these big church gatherings. People from all over a region or multiple regions show up. Some bring in the disease, but lots of people taking it with them when they leave. That's how all of the corners of Navajo territory managed to get infected now it, it, once it once it spread to all regions of navajo territory just like in south korea then some of the other cultural aspects of, of life you know the, the close families and you know um you know many people living in, in 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 small in smaller homes and that kind of stuff the the lack of infrastructure the idea that people have to go to a specific place to get water so they there's that force interaction there I mean, because 30% of the people in Navajo territory don't, don't have running water. This is part of the problem. But you know, I, I'm, I wanted to spend the time talking about this show, on this show to talk about the role that church has played and is still playing. I mean, look, there are, uh, you can find Facebook posts all over, right? And, that, and, tw- and, uh, and you know, tweets, all kinds of stuff where people are saying, you know, all of this pandemic stuff is, is just foolishness. You know, all you have to do is pray to Jesus. Jesus will save you. Well, or what? And if he doesn't, then, then it's one of these perfect, these, these perfect stories, right? Because no matter what. So if you die because you went to church, then that's because Jesus called you home. So you can be oblivious to this life. But here's the problem. It isn't just you who goes to church who gets the disease. You're bringing it home and spreading it amongst other people who maybe don't have your faith. But you're going to go and you're going to infect them. So what is this, God's wrath of God stuff? 
you, you want to talk about divine intervention? The divine intervention is the belief in, uh, the, in the divinity that, that actually promotes the, the spread of this disease. So it isn't an act of God. It's an act of God worship. So at some point, we need to put some of the stuff in the box that it belongs in. And I'm not, look, everybody can believe and they can pray. They can do all that stuff they want to do. They can worship in the way they want to. You can, you know, look, you can do crystals and candles and incense and, you know, do, do whatever, you, whatever you want to do. But when you start imposing it on other people and then utilizing your belief system to subjugate people and to, you know, I mean, to infect people, intentional or otherwise, it's a big problem. You know, and, and you know, the idea that, that church gathering and group worship should be one of the immediate things that, uh, that gets relaxed in these, you know, in, in these shutdown issues. For one thing, the only reason that, that states are opening up has to do because of money. And, and when people say something like, well, we've got to balance the, uh, you know, the, the safety and health of people against, um, we can't, we got to make sure that the cure isn't worse than the, than the disease. What that, that, all that is is a euphemism for there's a certain amount of dead that are, that, that, that's okay. You know, we, we got to, we got to assign death and the money together. I mean, I heard Trump say, well, people need to go back to school. They, they, these colleges need to open back up. We got to get kids because look, some, some kids die on the way to college, just driving in car accidents. Well, wait a second. So is, are you suggesting that, that we can look at a certain number of deaths that might occur anyway? And that's the acceptable amount of people who can die because of COVID-19? That's that that's acceptable. I mean, there's still a a dead body count being, even if it isn't, it, it's it's not being itemized and it's not being detailed. This is the rationale that's going on in people's heads. And now throw into into that the the mix that you know, that if you're you believe your Christian belief says, well, that person's gone back, gone to Jesus or hell. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like so it's just God's will. I mean, th this is the logic that is being used here, folks. We need to take care of ourselves. And, 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 it, and this brings me to, to another topic, and I've talked about it before. We don't have immunity to, to new diseases. This is a disease that came from animals. So unless you were a bat... You did not, you, you couldn't have had immunity. Nobody is immune to COVID-19. I know what you're saying, but, and we'll talk about the herd immunity thing in a minute. But nobody's immune to it. Why? Because it's not a human, it is not a disease that was born in, uh, that, that humans have been exposed to. It's brand new to human beings. Now, if you have a strong immune system, your immune system may be able to react to um, a virus entering into your into your body. If you don't have underlying diseases, if you don't have underlying conditions, if you if you don't smoke and if, if if you know if you're in better shape, you have a better chance. Now I say a better chance. It doesn't mean that that makes you immune. There is no immunity. So I, I want to be clear. There's nothing you can do that can make you immune to 
this disease or the next one that comes along like it. But what you can do is try to be in better health. And if you can't quit smoking, quit drinking, if you can't change your diet, if you can't change your, 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 your activity and, and, and do that kind of stuff, and, and many of us can't you know, or, or, or won't, we should at very least do what we can to give the strongest impact to the next generation. You look, I, I've talked about drugs before. And I look, there are people who are drug dealers, there are, there are, are, are addicts, and, you know, those are people that, that, that are a major part of the drug trade. But there's also those young kids, and even adults, who are not drug addicts who are they they don't have uh, a substance abuse problem but but they may be they may become that they may be going in that direction maybe they're on the precipice because of other pressures at home and and you know whatever it is that that people are seeking when you know, the first time they get high well i say the same thing about healthier lifestyles we need to do all that we can to encourage our kids to eat better. We need to do all we can to, to improve our, our, our health. We've got we've to we've improve it. I mean, which means we, we've got to spend a little bit more time in, in feeding our children. Regardless of, of what habits we have adopted as, as families or as parents or as, as older generation, maybe, people maybe can't write us off as the lost cause. But we shouldn't be writing off our children. So we should do everything we can to break that cycle. Let's stop pretending that fry bread is good for you. It isn't. Let's stop, you know, uh, you know get some of the pop out of your refrigerator. Look, I know Raymond noodles taste good. But if you, if you think the, because your, your child will only eat ramen noodles and hot dogs or craft dinner, that that's the only thing you can feed them? No, you've got to try some other stuff. I'm not saying they can never eat ramen noodles or never have a hot dog or never have, you know, craft dinner. But let's not let these unhealthy things be the staple. I, I mean, we've got to do more and look we've we talked about things like you know food is our medicine and, and and having gardens and that kind of stuff fresh produce even if you can't do any of that you can still still change the diet in your household we need to do something in something dramatic and if this disease tells us one thing it's that if you have underlying conditions if you have asthma if you have you know um COPD, if, if, if you've got liver and, and, and kidney problems because of, you know, again, whether it's, you know, tied to drinking and substance abuse or whatever else, whether you have diabetes, a lot of these things are, are, are diet related. That puts you at a higher risk. And, and I've, I actually saw some people post things on, on, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter saying, you know, my loved one, was positive they, they did have COVID-19 but they died of something else and they still listed COVID-19 as the, as the reason for death well, there's a reason for that because you know what you can live with 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 heart disease you can live with diabetes 
you can live with um you, you can go to dialysis and and uh, live with bad you know, bad you know kidneys you can do all that stuff and you can live you know you know years that way i'm not saying that's a great quality of life but you can live that way you can smoke for years and some people will smoke and never die of of quote-unquote lung disease but if you have these things and if you do these things covid19 exacerbates those underlying conditions so yeah maybe you do die of a heart attack but the reason you died of a heart attack was because you had COVID-19. You wouldn't have died of that heart attack otherwise. So I get, So what I'm trying to say, and look, I don't buy everything that, that the television says or the radio says. I have some problems with, with, with things that come from the Democrats, from the Republicans, from you know this scientist, that scientist. I mean, I don't, I don't buy any of it hook, line, and sinker. But some of the stuff is obvious to me. And I do know enough people who who now who have been involved either in the treatment of the disease or have had it. I know a few people that, that, that had it and, and didn't do so well with it either. Either that I think I can formulate an opinion even absence all the noise on uh, from talking heads on TV and radio. But I'm not going to dismiss everything that I hear. You know, one of the things that gets talked about, and I said I'd bring it up, this, this notion of herd immunity. Here's the problem with this concept. You know, if you don't know what herd immunity means, it means let everybody get exposed to the disease because once they get it, they're immune and they and uh, and, the, and the disease can just die out because there's nobody to to get it again. For one thing, that's not true because even if everybody on the planet today had COVID, you know, had you know got infected, and those who survived, you know, went on, you know, to, to live productive lives we have babies that are being born so there's another generation that'll come up that won't have the immunity they won't be born with the immunity so this can come back but here's the other problem there's no evidence to suggest that once you've had COVID-19 that you can't get it again in fact there's pretty strong evidence to the contrary there have been um, episodes there's been incidents in China and in South Korea and now uh, you know Jake you were telling me on the on this Navy ship um this navy vessel that 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 the, the disease ran through those who had it and cycled through some of them are now uh, i'm not even saying relapsing they're, they're catching it again look there's no such thing as herd immunity to the common cold there's no vaccine for the common cold and you know what the common cold is a coronavirus by the way and you can get a cold three times a year four times a year you can get a cold have a period of time that that you are you know without it and then you know get get a cold again you know you may be immune for a very short you may have cold antibodies in in your system after you have the cold and they may stay in your system but they they either are not strong enough to fight off the next bout or they they dissipate and, and then those antibodies um you know disappear there is no evidence that once you've had COVID-19 that you can't have it again. So that throws the whole herd immunity thing out the window. I mean, and, and, and that, that assumes that you're willing to sacrifice another, the, the percentage of population that you would lose in the effort to get 
everybody immune. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here, if herd immunity doesn't work, you know what else doesn't work? Vaccines. So all of this this rhetoric being, you know, I heard Trump saying, oh, he's going to fast track a vaccine to have it out by December. No, he's not. In fact, by December, we may be able to fully confirm that you cannot become immune to COVID-19. There's already pretty indi- pretty good indication that that um, that you can. There's also a pretty good indication that there are varieties of, of this disease that can stay in your body and be dormant for a period of time. I mean, th- this new thing that that kids started, uh, we started seeing in, in children, which was described as Kawasaki syndrome-like. This may be you know, coming from this notion that the, that the disease can lie dormant for a while and then manifest in something other than just a respiratory infection. I don't know what the, the what the final answer is here, but we are not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll take a break when we come back. I, you know, I'm going to give you a few of the numbers. I mean, in, in, they're they're pretty it's still pretty scary and and i think people people need need to know what they are but uh so we'll talk about that when we come back this is john kane this is let's talk native we'll be back in a minute Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Uh, let me let me start by uh, thanking my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John of the uh, R J E Ross Enterprises. Um, I want to thank uh, uh, the folks at Grand River Enterprises and Native Wholesale Supply. I want to thank the uh, uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. Um, and then all of you who, who share the show and make contributions from time to time. But, you know, look, we do need those those sponsors that that support the show on a weekly or monthly basis that help us you know, continue to do what we do here. So uh, I very much appreciate those guys. And I appreciate the rest of you as well. <laughs> I also I also want to thank all of you who share the show and um, spread it up, spread the podcast, the videos, uh, both on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, that's how we get the message out. Um. All right, uh, some of the some of the numbers. The United States has 1.5 million cases, you know, and 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 the number keeps going up. And it's not just the number of cases that they have had. So out of 1.5 million cases, the the active cases are is is still is over a million. And and it adds right now the active cases is 1 million um uh 78,000, almost uh, uh 80,000 cases. And it, add, and it increases every day. So the number of people who are recovering or dying are, is not taking away from the number of new cases each, each day. So, so each day, the number of active cases in the United States goes up by about eight to 10,000 um, uh, people. So you can't say in any way, shape, or form that the tide has been turned if you're still growing out the active if you're not if you're not having more recoveries than you are um you know 
or, or I mean, if, if you have more cases every single day, active cases, uh, if that's growing, if you if you haven't start started to turn that number down, then you haven't turned the, the turned the corner. I mean, it's it's just that simple. And so again, a million and a half cases in the United States, a million of them, over a million of them are still active cases. And it and it the number of active cases is going up by by eight to ten thousand people every single day, every day. All right, the number of deaths, ninety thousand. And this is not June. This is May, ninety thousand. Now, when I said earlier that that I am uh, I don't buy a lot of the BS that that were fed by government officials, by the right or the left. All those people who are singing the praises of guys like uh, uh, Tony Fauci or or this Doctor Burks or anybody, I am still troubled by the fact that. Initially, the, um, this task force had estimated that there would be between 100 and 200,000 deaths total. And then they said, well, we mean there will be between 100 and 200,000 deaths by August. And then for some strange reason, these two you know, prominent figures that are, that are, that are much praised, they all, one of, some of the few people praised even by the left in the Trump administration, said we're going to reduce that number to 60,000. We think the total number of deaths in, in the United States is going to be 60,000. And, and and it's unexplainable. There's no way, nobody ever says, and here's the reason why. We're, we're basing it on what? There's been no ch- turn in the corner. Look, the United States still, to this day, has not has tested less than 4, uh, 4% of the population. So... It's not like they they have this you know broad read on not only who are are sick today or who but who's been sick. So they reduced it to sixty thousand, and then we passed sixty thousand weeks ago. And and then of course then they said well we, we we're, we're going to change that sixty thousand to seventy thousand. Of course we passed that. Then they said well seventy five thousand. Now they're. I just heard somebody say well um, we think that there's going to be a hundred thousand deaths by uh, by June. What do you mean by June? In a week they're going to reach a hundred thousand deaths in the United States. So they're at ninety thousand now. They're adding somewhere between a thousand and two thousand uh, a day. And 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 that's come down a little bit. If you believe all the numbers, that's come down a little bit. Today was a, a $1,200 day, or $1,200, I always say dollars, a 1200 death day. It would be better if it was dollars we were losing instead of lives. 1,200 people died today in the United States. Um, according to, uh, you know, again, according to the stats that are put up. So they're going to be at 100,000 in, in, in about another week. It'll, t- it'll take about a week it won't even be in the June yet, so I, I'm I'm troubled by by any of these forecasts. And and every time we hear somebody say, "Well, we we forecasted this, and then it didn't turn out that way," they said, "Well, we thought we we're gonna have a run on hospitals, but then you spend six weeks telling people you're gonna have a run on hospitals, and what does that do? It discourages people from going to hospitals." And again, I'm, I made this point before. Proof of that, proof that by scaring everybody away from going to the hospitals. That it, that it worked is when they when they turned the Jacob Javits Center in New York City 
in Manhattan into a hospital and they brought the USS Comfort, this hospital ship, into port, nobody showed up. You know where were the where were the broken arms? Where were the where the where the you know the the, the cuts and the, and the injuries and the heart attacks and and all of these other other things that people go to the hospital for? My wife went to the hospital uh, a couple of days ago on, on Thursday for a, a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot. Now, now COVID nineteen causes blood clots, but she didn't have COVID nineteen. She was tested tested twice. But, but you know what does contribute to blood clots? When you shut everything down and people don't come up with any reason to be active, you just, you know, we talk about, we joke about binge watching television. That's one of the things that, that contributes to it. You know, and there's other lifestyle choices, you know, and I talked about it earlier, you know, look, we need to get we need to stop smoking and drinking and all these things that, that that destroy our health but but think about this so i mean if my wife didn't go to the hospital a a, a condition that is very treatable treatable with just blood thinners could have gotten worse and could have caused a heart attack so there 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 would have been a death and, and look, I'm not pr- predicting my wife's death, but but there could have been a a fatality based on not going to the hospital, and that isn't a COVID related, isn't a COVID nineteen death, but it, it it is contributed to by those who've been scared for six weeks and told for uh, now two months, I should say, told for two months <clears throat> that oh the hospitals are disasters, that you know they are you know they're they're a war zone. I mean. We've been hearing it. So then, so when Andrew Cuomo gets on on television and said, "Wow, we great, we we did, we overestimated the number of beds that we we're going to use." You didn't overestimate the number of beds you needed. You scared people out of those beds. You scared people from going to those beds. That's why you've had a fourfold increase in the number of deaths at home. Some of those people who died at home might have gone to the hospitals if you hadn't scared them for eight weeks. So, look, I I am very much troubled. The numbers that I see, you know, and I, again, I use this worldometers.info uh, site. I know they're not all the numbers. They are not telling us all the people who, who are sick. They're not telling us all the people who have died. They're just telling us all the people who've been tested positive and who either died because uh, with a positive or died by an overwhelming um, number of symptoms that suggest that it was COVID-19. The, and these antibody tests that are that they're doing, why it'd be great to to, to believe that that they're accurate and that uh, it'll give us better numbers to extrapolate how many people have really been infected. Um, I don't know that they're going to get out there enough. And, and 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 then the contact tracing stuff. Look, countries like South Korea who've been able to do it effectively, or China, other countries that that have been able to not only get an adequate number of tests, and again. It, for all of the boasting about how many tests, and the United States has, has give, uh, done almost 12 million tests. Almost 12 million tests. But you know what? For the percentage of, uh, of their population, 42 other countries have tested higher percentages of their population than the United States. So you can save all the envy of the world stuff. You know, and then this this test that they're using now, this Abbott test that uh, that the White House is using, and um, and frankly, even the Senate nation has it now. Um, 
by some estimates, are, is only about 50% accurate. Clinically tested, it came through and it, and it said, well, it's, um, we've got an 85% uh, accuracy. But in practice, they're finding out that, that 50% of the, uh, the negatives, the negative results, uh, are false negatives. So you have to get it done multiple times. You know, and, but um, look, if you only have a 50-50 chance of getting an accurate negative no, uh, um, number, that's like flipping a freaking coin. Now, I will say, if it tests you positive, you are positive. The problem is if it tests you negative, you might still be positive. So, I mean, and again, everything's fast-tracking. Like, as I said earlier, this notion that, that there's, you know, this big international contest to come up with a, uh, a vaccine... There isn't a vaccine for HIV AIDS. There isn't an, a vaccine for, for you know, a, there's no vaccine for the common cold folks. So the idea that, there's gonna, that they're gonna come up with a vaccine for this in December, like Trump is boasting, or, or even next year or two years, some of them, and even the flu vaccines, they took years and years to develop. And a flu vaccine is only about 40% accurate. Only 40% of the people who get vaccinated for the flu each year avoid the flu. And of course, most people don't get flu vaccines. So the vaccines for viruses are very, very problematic. They're, they're, they're hard to... And because we don't know if there is such a thing as immunity, antibodies that stay in your system that can fight... You know, so there's herd immunity. If herd immunity doesn't work, then... then Immunization, vac- vaccinated immunization won't work either. So when when I hear somebody on television say, this is going to be around, this may never go away, I believe that. I believe that. And not because they said it. I believe that anyway. I mean, and so just because I hear a talking head say something doesn't mean that I have to say, oh, I can't believe that because they said it. No, I'm making some of these deductions myself based on all the information that's around. And, and I'll admit, I'm probably more obsessed with this. And, and part of it is, and, and I'll, I'll admit, I am fascinated by, by what is, uh, what's playing out here. I mean, I think this is among the most incredible times to be witnessing what humankind is going through. I mean, we, we're seeing the failure of capitalism. We're seeing the failure of, of so-called democracy. I mean, you got a president who got elected with two million less votes than the, uh, you know, than his, uh, than his opponent. You've got, you know, polarization. You've got such factionalism within the political system and in the streets. I mean, it's it, it's an amazing time to look at the the political breakdown, the economic breakdown, the social breakdown, and and then this pandemic, and of course the economic breakdown. I mean, this is it's an incredible time, and I don't want to be uh, sound like I'm happy about it. I am not celebrating the death to America. I'm not crying about it either, but I'm not celebrating it. And the reason that I find it most disturbing is that human lives are on the line here. And, and when I hear some morons saying, well, the cure can't be worse than the disease, that's a euphemism for saying, we got to let enough people die 
to uh, so the rest of us can benefit. Nobody will put a number on it, but you know, Jake and I joked. Well, joked, I guess. We, we talked about this last week. How ironic was it that they talked about these death panels during the Obama administration associated with Obamacare? And now you literally have white men sitting around a table deciding what is going to be an acceptable loss of human lives um, to jumpstart the, the, the economy. Because that's the decision that gets made. So all of these things, oh, well, we're going to find out if we've got a weekly trend that uh, says we have a number of uh, lesser hospitalizations, you know, new cases and deaths. Look, all of that stuff is still not turning the corner. These are, this is number, number fudging so you can justify having somebody else feed you. So you can justify having somebody else manicure you, do your hair. So you can justify sitting in your church. That's what these all this, you know, these calculations, these these um, these metrics that they're saying that they're going to put out there. And of course, some states aren't even doing that; they're just opening up. Oh, yeah, the bars are open. These numbers, like I said, keep in mind. I as I said today, today there are um, ten thousand more active cases today than yesterday. Ten thousand. That we're gonna, it's gonna be interesting to see over the next several weeks whether that number of active cases starts to get higher and higher. So it's not ten thousand. I mean, it was bigger than that before. So it's kind of come down to ten thousand. But now that things are opening back up for you know for humanity, no, for economy, it's gonna be interesting to see how this thing um, plays out. You know, talking about opening up, I got to tell you something. I got something wrong the other day, and, and I and and I want to I want to be real clear when I when I make a mistake. I made a mistake. I they the governor has chopped up the state into into I think nine I think nine regions. Um, and there's there's an expression that we out here in in this area, you know this 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 region. The southern tier. Look, we hear things like upstate and north country and all these, uh, all these, you know, and of course, there are, there are specific regions. I mean, you see signs on the thruway, leather stocking, whatever the hell that means. But uh, yeah, so there's all these regions. Southern tier. Now, we assume that Salamanca and, and, and because the Interstate 86 is called the Southern Tier Expressway, that, that's considered Southern Tier. So when I heard that the governor was going to give the go-ahead for the southern tier to open up i mistakenly included um allegheny territory or or the or the area around allegheny territory i don't consider us part of new york state you know allegheny or cataraugus but um but so i i assumed that when he said southern tier he was talking about the area around allegheny salamanca and such and i was wrong Cataraugus County, which includes uh, the city of Salamanca and um, uh, and Olean, and Chautauqua County, which you know again Cataraugus territory borders um, Cataraugus, Erie, and, and Chautauqua County. All three of those counties, including Allegheny County and Niagara, uh, Niagara County, are not they're, they're considered Western New York. So I mean, I talked a little bit about gaming as it related to this. Ironically. The areas that the governor is authorizing to open up sooner are 
are the areas that don't include any Seneca territory. Well, well, the, well, well I'll take that back. It does include Tonawanda Seneca territory. But, uh, but it's interesting because the Finger Lakes area region that, uh, that includes where Delago Casino is, where Batavia Racino Casino is, where Finger Lakes Casino is. So some of the major gaming sites for, the New, York, for New York State are that that take gaming away from the Seneca territory they're farther along in terms of being uh being uh, opened up by the state um so uh, again I, I guess the point that i wanted to make is i was wrong in assuming that the southern tier w- um that the state is is trying to authorize to open back up at some level um included a part of seneca territory it doesn't it doesn't. Salamanca is not, for for this these purposes, considered part of the southern tier. So I I, I do need to be I need to stand corrected on on that issue. Um, look and and look, I'm as indifferent as anybody on this idea of opening up. I understand, as, you know, living here on Seneca territory, I understand how important it is that the Seneca Nation be able to re- return get get some return to their public their means of public finance which is predominantly gaming class 2 and class 3 gaming but i'm not any more of a fan of the seneca nation opening up its its broad economy than i am anybody else especially because of the the spread issue of this disease now i'm going to assume that if and when the Seneca Nation opens up its gaming, it's going to have partitions. It's going to have some very, very strict protocols on trying to keep things, you know, disinfected. Um, and they're going to be rel- relatively extreme, which means a couple of things. It means, for one thing, all of these protocols, including s- social distancing, is going to reduce the um, the revenue that these facilities generate. You know, if you have a restaurant and it opens up, and you've got to reduce your your capacity down to fifty percent, that means the potential for you to make money has been been cut in half. So that's just you know that's that's just what uh, what the um, the regulations are going to be. Now, I'm not saying the Seneca Nation is bound by state regulations or even even the federal regulations necessarily. And of course, the, there are no federal regulations as it relates to shutting down because Trump wants everything open, um, but. Even if the, the the Seneca Nation is not bound by by state regulations, there's a certain you know PR you know and the image you know that has to go along with this thing. So they can't just create a, a dangerous environment. But and I guarantee the Seneca Nation will be much more diligent about um, how it handles its, its safety protocols than, than probably the, the state licensed facilities will. I that I can. I, I feel pretty confident with that. But what I will say is they're going to be less profitable. I'm not even, even discussing the revenue-sharing battle, but that means that the Seneca Nation not only took this hit for almost three months, or what will be almost three months, that when they open back up, they're, they're still not going to be very profitable. Now, I don't even know how the state-licensed casinos are going to be profitable. They weren't profitable. They were barely profitable anyway. You know, Finger Lakes, they've been trying to, they've been trying to unload that to the Seneca Nation. Batavia, they've been, uh, Racetrack, they've been trying to unload that to the Seneca Nation. Delago, they've been trying to sell that to the Seneca Nation. I don't know how those things can even stay, stay in business. I know the Seneca Nation could stay in business, but what I'm saying is that they're going to be, that it's going to be significantly less uh, revenue coming from. And I, you know, and I don't know how Oneida or Aquasasne or, or, you know, 
St. Regis or anybody else is gonna uh, gonna do. The Seneca Nation is is a much bigger gaming um, player than uh, than Oneida and uh, and St. Regis, but they also have a much bigger you know uh, annual budget, and so it's going to be interesting to see how well the, the the Seneca Nation can revive its means of public finance, and 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 again, how are they going to walk that line? I mean. How are they going to walk the line when 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 public safety and and life and death are on the line? It's it's going to be tough. And and you know I know the Seneca Nation is not going to be uh, they're not going to want to have anybody attribute a, an infection or a death to to one of their facilities. But if they open up, the likelihood is that it, you know you know whether it, it they somebody catches it there or not, but whether there can be you know some implication that there uh, that there was. You know it, it, that'll that'll probably come. I mean, look, we we've had a number of deaths here on in Seneca territory here um, without gaming, and 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 again, as social gathering. Look, I I drove up, came up the the road here in, in Seneca territory, and I saw three or four people setting up to have parties right there. I mean party tents and, and the whole bit so i know everybody's gonna get laxed and it's gonna be interesting to see what the, what how the, the numbers play out but i know it's gonna be <clears throat> i know there's a lot of concern where native territories are gonna um how they're gonna survive financially and we're gonna we're, it's just gonna be interesting to see how that that plays out um i do expect that the seneca nation will probably open up they're their class two facilities before the class three facilities because they're they're a little lower overhead i think they're going to try to you know, they'll probably try to do what they can to uh, to begin to have a, some revenue stream and um but it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge it's gonna be a challenge and i know i was just i was hearing some news from out in oneida I, I from what i understood the rumor that i heard was that oneida that they were going to stop the annuities um june annuities um, or annuities after June won't happen out there if they can't open up. And I don't know if that meant by June 15th. I don't know. But uh, if they couldn't open up, they, they were going to end it. And there's a lot of people that, look, there's a lot of people here that depend on um, the, the the money that comes from the Seneca Nation. So, certainly out in, in Oneida, that's the that's the case as well. So, you know, this, you know, it, this is, it's a challenging time. And, but when people start to put more emphasis on dollars than lives, that's where it starts to get, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty dicey, I guess. And it's going to be, and, and that's the calculation that's being made. And no matter what anybody says about balance or balancing the effects or, you know, is the cure worse than the disease? Make no mistake about it. All of those are euphemisms for an acceptable body count in the interest of, uh, of trying to stimulate the economy. That's what all that's about. And, you know, if it's not your body or, or your family member that loses their life because of trying to open the economy back up, then I guess you can look the other way. You can continue to, you know, strap on your AR-15 and, you know, and demand your freedom. Um, but when your when your freedom comes at the cost of other people's lives, including your so-called religious freedom, which is where I started this program, that becomes a concern. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, we will be, you know, back here on uh, on Tuesday, and of course, don't uh, don't forget we do our, our WBAI show um, on Thursdays as well, and of course, we stream them. Uh, we stream it all right here live on Facebook. So we'll, we'll be back here Tuesday and then on Thursday. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for listening. Yawning.